If you don't know where you are, uh, you need to have a little orientation. This is Faith Stories. And uh, I think we've talked about the value of Faith Stories several times already this month, that this isn't just a, uh, a casual thing. It's both an example that we'll have this morning in a few minutes, but a reminder that we all need to be prepared to tell our faith story. I don't see too many children here this morning, but I think that's a good thing to help your children learn to tell their stories too, so that they can express what their faith journey has been. Uh, this morning is someone that I've only known for a year because she's only been here for about a year. <laughs> this is Clara Kingsley, if you don't recognize her. Clara is a Wisconsin native, we talked about that. She moved here to the warm climate of Indianapolis about a year ago with her husband, Nathan, uh, to whom she's been married for several years and has a daughter, Hazel, who's recently turned one year old and we've enjoyed seeing them here. I, I can remember my uh, incredulity when you came here as a candidate with Nathan and Hazel was six weeks old or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Amazing. So let's, let's pray before we uh, hear Clara's story. Uh, thanks, Father, for how you brought us together to this morning. Uh, thankful for uh, beautiful weather and ask that you, would, in your mercy, help that continue. Uh, thanks for uh, the family that we are together and the way you brought uh, Claire and Nathan and Hazel here this last year. Uh, we, we are grateful that uh, in your grace you have given us stories to share because of our relationship with Jesus. Uh, so help uh, Clara, she shares that story with us this morning. Give her your words and speak to us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank Clara. you. Thanks. Um, so I just need to know if you can hear me okay. Is this loud enough? Is that fine? Tom, can you verify in the back? Is this okay? <laughs> okay. So just to give you some faces to the names, there's little Hazel and um, my husband Nathan, who is now our youth pastor. So um, I'm much more comfortable talking to a room full of fifth graders. So this is kind of out of my comfort zone. Um, so if you need to take multiple bathroom breaks and drink breaks and eat snacks and chew with your mouth open, that will be more in my comfort zone. So don't <laughs> feel, <laughs> so feel free. Um, so Nathan and I, have the same, one of the same disputes often, which is what is the best season? What's our favorite season? Which one is the greatest? And Nathan will try and convince you that it is springtime, and I will always um, say that it is fall. So I love everything about fall. I love the apples and the colors and the smells and the things you can make with pumpkin and um, all the delicious treats. That is my favorite season. And in order for you to understand my perspective, it's important for you to know where I grew up. So I grew up in uh, central Wisconsin. So to me, springtime was my least favorite season. It is the ugliest season because it's still snowing. So there, springtime doesn't mean it automatically is green and beautiful because in Wisconsin you have snow until May, you know, through May. So um, springtime to me was snowy and gr ugly because the snow would melt and then it's just all the sand and the dirt that's on the streets and in your lawns. So I didn't understand Nathan's perspective until 
I visited and we went back to his home often in Cincinnati. And Cincinnati is beautiful in the springtime. It is green and lush and the flowers bloom um, long before I ever see flowers in Wisconsin. So I could understand why he loved springtime. Um, I'd still say fall is the best, but God has been teaching me in the last few years about springtime. So um, growing up, I went to a church that, or attended a church with my family on a weekly basis in which I never heard the gospel. So whether that's because my heart wasn't softened to actually hear and receive it, or because it wasn't being preached, I don't know, but I didn't get it. I didn't get it um, until I was a junior in high school. So growing up, I thought life was meant to be fair. I thought I could earn my salvation. What I heard was a workspace salvation. So everything I did hopefully would get me one step closer to heaven. I imagined a ladder in my mind from earth to heaven, and I thought I could climb that, um, thinking that I was self-sufficient. I was in control of my destiny. And I saw this in, um, in how my parents raised us. I have an older brother and an older sister. And I saw that life was fair, always. There was always fairness in how my parents parented us. So if there was disobedience or um, sin, there was a direct consequence to that um, in their, how they parented. So I have a distinct memory of being dropped off on the corner of a block having to walk the length of the block into church, into the confessional, to confess a sin, and then walk, like, do my penance on my own and walk all the way back to the car. And that was very effective for me because I, that was very shameful for me. Um, and so I'm not saying it was maybe the best, but it worked. I felt like I had always to answer for every single thing and um, that I did incorrectly growing up and so I started to feel tension like I could only do one step of something really great before I took another step back and I felt like in this ladder or in the staircase to heaven I was not making any progress so um, my sister my sister is uh, about two years older than me and um, when I was born she was immediately my best friend my mom would say that she was so lucky to have a real-life doll come around because um, for whatever reason I did not cling to my mom and I know that still is a really tender thing for my mom she had this last kid and she was gonna get all of her snuggles in and you know savor every last moment with her last baby and instead I wanted nothing to do with her she will tell you the same thing I only wanted my sister and so my sister young did all my diaper changes all my clothes changes she'd cuddle with me in bed in my crib she'd climb in and my mom would lift her out she'd put me to sleep um, basically anything other than feed me. She taught me how to, she potty trained me, she taught me how to tie my shoes, she would put on my snowsuit, because anytime my mom tried, i throw the biggest fit. So this sister bond that we had was so strong. She was my best friend. No one knew me better than my sister Anne. And I would say the same, she would say the same for her as well. No one knew her better than me. We shared a room from the time I was born until she went off to college. And even after college, she'd return home and we'd sleep in our twin beds and have great pillow talk. So um, my sister came to know the Lord in her freshman year of college through campus ministry. 
she was transformed by the gospel, and when she came home after her first semester, she was so different. I recognized it immediately, and instead of making it, instead of it being appealing, I was really turned off by it. I was like, "Who is this girl? She I know her better than anybody." And now she's unrecognizable. It was not appealing to me. I wanted nothing to do with it. And we'd lay in bed, and she'd ask me really personal questions that no one had asked me about God before. And it was really uncomfortable for me. So she would tell you she prayed so purposefully and directly for my heart to be transformed by the gospel. And um, about a year later, after continuously sharing the gospel with me time and time again, I actually received it for the first time. And Nathan would mention that it's interesting in my faith story, I came to faith at a time when it seemed like everything was fine. It wasn't my lowest point, it wasn't a point of desperation. I had friends, I played varsity sports, and life was great in high school. It seemed great from the outside. From the inside, I had this, still this lingering feeling of, I have no idea if I could ever make my way to heaven, probably not, so what does that mean for me? And so the verse that really um, stuck out to me, the verse that I've claimed as my life verse because I found true life for the first time in Christ is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And what stands out to me, or stood out to me when I first heard this verse was not by works. It has nothing to do with what I do, and it's all because of what Jesus did. So I was a junior in high school when I heard this verse and actually received the gospel. But I was home alone with my parents, right? I was the last one left, and to be respectful, I continued to attend church with my parents. Um, I had the same friends that I had had before I received, you know, the gospel. So I felt really stuck because I had this truth and didn't know what to do with it. I didn't have a Bible. I didn't know how to read a Bible. Um, I don't have anyone coming alongside me and mentoring me. And, except for my sister who was off at college and I saw her at home on breaks. So I felt really stuck. It wasn't until I went to school in my freshman year of college when I would say I experienced my first spiritual springtime. I once was dead and I was coming to life, true life, for the first time in Christ. I kind of feel like classes were almost an afterthought. All I wanted, I wanted community, I wanted Bible studies, I wanted worship nights. That is what I pursued. and. Um, because I went to the same school that my sister went to, which was actually not my desire, but it was wonderful because when I got there, she had this community that immediately folded me in from day one. And I had mentors and I had people starting to grow and pour into me. And so um, I had a huge growth spurt my first year of college. And when it came time to figure out what I was going to do for the summer, going home sounded like the last thing I wanted to do. I would still attend church with my parents to, to be respectful and I would still have those same friends and I would feel, again, stuck, feel lonely. And I really was just like on this track. I wanted to continue to grow and to 
um, be surrounded by people who also desired the same thing. So I applied to work. Oh, no. Oh, Jesus. Sorry. When did that happen? <gasps> oh, that's so sad. Man. Thanks. Okay. Well, guys, I'm very sorry. You're going to have to just listen to me read all the things that are on slides. Nope. Mm-mm, that's on me. Okay, sorry. So anyways, um, when thinking about what I was going to do, I applied to work at summer camps all over across the country, and specifically Christian summer camps, ones that said we would, you know, come alongside you, and other counselors um, desire to also grow in the Lord, and we, it's important to the campers that you pour into them, and that sounded awesome, so I applied to maybe a dozen across the country, and I accepted a job working as a counselor in East Texas, so um, I would love to share more about that experience, but it is probably would um, take away from my story. So if you ever would like to know more about my experience, it's interesting because God did so many small miracles and right before me that were amazing to me. He showed me how he intimately and personally knew me and cared for me in that summer also was a wild summer because life is different in East Texas. It is <laughs> very different. So um, someone in the last hour asked if I could just share one story from that camp experience, what would it be? And um, I shared how we snake hunted. So if you had a cabin that was you know, eight years old or older, you could go out as an evening activity after lights out, you know, at 10 p.m. or something. Get your campers in boots, pair them up, give one a machete, one a flashlight, and you go down the creek and you slay snakes. So doesn't that sound wild? I look back and I'm like, how was that real life? Why did we do that with kids? And so you got, that happened. That is one of maybe a dozen ridiculous stories, and I'm not going to tell you the name of the camp because I don't want it to be closed down because it actually is awesome. But um, <laughs> if you'd like to know more, feel free to ask me afterwards. So this summer was, um, was really, truly um, defining. It was the first time that everything that I had learned in my freshman year of college, um, I got to um, use. I really did. and so. Uh, although this camp identified or called themselves a Christian camp, it was Christian by name only, and so I was surrounded by people who actually just didn't care. And so what I had tried to avoid by not going home, I still had at this camp, I had people who just didn't care about pursuing the Lord. And it was still a wonderful summer because it was the first time I had to rely on God alone. Everything that I had been filled with and learned in that first year I got to cling to the Lord in that time, not knowing anybody um, and feeling disconnected from everyone. Um, it was a really defining summer. So same, same, thing, same scenario, the next summer after my sophomore year, I did not want to go home, but I was much more intentional about how I found a job this time. And I applied and worked for YouthWorks, which is a nonprofit organization that provides mission trips and does the planning so churches and youth groups can come and experience and serve at different sites all across the nation. 
So I worked in Eagle Butte, South Dakota. My role was to uh, do the programming in the evening for our participants. And during the day, I did a soup kitchen or led a team that served meals at a soup kitchen uh, for people who were hungry. So the culture of this um, Indian reservation was that the women worked and it was the men who were unemployed. So for days and for weeks, I served men who were drunk, who did not know my name, who tried to make passes at me and called me honey and sweetheart and baby. And after a while, I got really tired of it. And I was exhausted and just was praying one night and just feeling like, God, why, why don't they know my name? I know them, I know their names, I know their stories, I know how they ended up here. And I don't need thanks, I don't need recognition, but I would love for them to just know my name or call me by name. And in that moment, God said to me, it's okay because I know your name. And it was, again, very personal, very intimate that God was showing me that he cared for me. So. I also, um, to prepare for my faith story, looked back at my journals. I kept really great journals on these experiences and in my faith um, journey in general. And when I'm done with writing in a journal for a season, I will take some time to look back in the journal and pray over what was God teaching me in this season. And then on the spine of the journal, I'll write the word or the phrase that I think that God was teaching me in that time. So I looked back at my journal just a few weeks ago, trying to see if I've missed something or is there something specific I could share. And on the spine of that journal, I had wrote, um, I had written surrender. And I think that's true. Um, a scripture verse that I saw that I reflected on time and time again in that summer was Psalm 3, 5. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. And so as I'm seeing this theme now looking back years later, I was looking, you know, it's been a few years. I think sustains would also be a word that describes that season because I was challenged out of my comfort zone so much to serve this population of people that breaks your heart. And I was being filled by the Lord through the people that I was working with. And one of those people was Nathan. So that is a side note to my story. It's important, but it's not the main point. So that is the summer that I met Nathan. We did work together um, in serving that uh, group of people for the summer. And that's all. So. Um, <laughs> I, after that summer, I had two years left of school, and I spent that time pursuing a career in teaching, dreaming of having my own classroom. I pursued my roommates I lived intentionally with who were not believers. Um, I pursued a relationship with Nathan long distance. I pursued underclassmen as a Bible study leader, and all the while still being filled by the people, the women who were mentoring me, our campus ministry, um, worship, and fellowship. So looking back now, I would say college in general was a spiritual springtime for me. I was dead and I was coming to life to the person that Christ has made me to be for the first time. Nathan and I were married after I graduated from college and um, after his first year of seminary. And very quickly, um, what I was, Life was different. 
right? Life is different immediately. We went to, we moved to a new city. We moved to Milwaukee where I didn't know anybody and he didn't know anybody. And I commuted an hour north for a job and he commuted an hour south for seminary. He stayed up late um, studying. I stayed up late grading and lesson planning. And so our lives were very segmented. And it was challenging to not have any community and feel really isolated even in our church, which was our only overlap really in our lives was the church we attended. Though Wonderful was really big and it was really hard to get plugged in and get connected. So we felt like, honestly, after all of our years of attending there, before we moved here, we maybe had one couple of friends that we knew in this church. Otherwise we could attend every Sunday, come and go without seeing anybody that we knew. So we felt very isolated and then that adding with some um, circumstances in that season that made it even more challenging. So um, marriage was difficult. My grandfather passed away. My mom was diagnosed with cancer. And then um, my sister, who has been my best friend forever, for whatever, um, for a very specific reason that I don't care to dive into now, that relationship was silent for about a year. I didn't talk with her and um, I didn't hear from her. And I felt truly alone and isolated. So for a while, I was persistent in prayer. I was direct and on my knees more than I'd ever been before, just pleading with God for circumstances to change, for him to redeem a certain situation um, or a certain relationship. And after a year, after two years of praying, I got bitter because I didn't see anything changing. I felt that my prayers were not making a difference. And I really believe that, well, God is just gonna do what he's going to do according to his plan, and my prayers don't mean anything in this scenario. Something our church in Milwaukee preached well is that um, this life is not about us. It's not about me. It is about being invited to be a part of God's redemptive story of creation of this world. And that's truth. But I took it too far to actually believe that I'm only a pawn in God's plan. He doesn't know me intimately. He doesn't care about me intimately. And I'm just here to do the calling that I'm supposed to do. And that's it. And it was very cold which is the opposite of what I had been experiencing in college and in those summers where God in small moments was showing me the exact opposite. He knew me and he cared about me. So feeling frustrated, feeling bitter, I stopped um, praying regularly. I stopped reading my Bible regularly. And in that stepping back, I developed misconceptions of who God was or misconceptions of his character because I wasn't in the word every day. And I didn't realize it until I was talking to my sister-in-law one day and she challenged me on a lot of things that I was saying about what I thought was true about God. And she said, Claire, you have one week to find a Christian counselor. And if you don't, I'm going to make an appointment for you. And I'm a little afraid of her, so I was like, okay, <laughs> I will do that. Like, I mean, she's amazing. I'm not afraid of her, but I just knew she was going to follow through, so I might as well. I just need to do this. So this is my plug. Christian counseling is transformative when you have somebody who also loves the Lord. Um, and it was transformative for me. God used this woman to 
um, speak life into what I felt like was a lot of dead space. So in my counseling sessions, my counselor would ask me when I'm talking about God or a view of God, she's like, where did you read that? And I'm like, well, I don't know exactly, but I know I could find it. And she's like, all right, that's fine. So your homework is to go back, find it in scripture, come back to me next week, and we'll talk about it. And I'm like, great, I will show you. So I'd go back and I'd look and I'd look and I'd get frustrated because I can't find it anywhere, but mm, I thought I read it. And I would come back and tell her, and she's like, yep, that's because that's not true of who God is. God doesn't promise that. God doesn't say that or whatever. And I needed to get back into the word. I needed to see who God says he is according to his word. Because I had been believing about things about God based on my experiences and my feelings, not based on truth and in the word. So she encouraged me to ease back into reading my Bible, which, to be honest, was really intimidating, and ease back into prayer. And I still was bitter. I still wasn't, didn't feel really ready. And nothing in our circumstances had changed or been redeemed at this time. So she encouraged me to maybe, instead of just jumping into reading my Bible, just maybe find a devotional that's scripture-based as a baby step. Read that for a short period of time. And so I stumbled across this devotional called Savor by Shauna Nequist. And there was one passage that stood out to me that God used her writing to speak to me in this time. It's, it was exactly right what I needed to hear. I'm sure you've had those moments. So this was based off of Isaiah 35, verses 1 and 2. The verse reads, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. And I wish I had my slides because this would be easier because you could read it. But I will read to you a, just a part of um, the passage that she wrote. I don't know where you are these days, what's broken down and what's beautiful in your life this season. I don't know if this is a season of sweetness or one of sadness, but I'm learning that neither lasts forever. There'll be something that invades this current loveliness. It won't be sweet forever, but it won't be bitter forever either. If everywhere you look these days, it's wintry, desolate, lonely, practice believing in springtime. It always, always comes. Even on days like today, it's nearly impossible to imagine. Ground frozen, trees bare, spiky, new life will spring from this very ground. So leading up to reading this passage, I was experiencing winter. I felt like everything around me was dead, relationships, cir life circumstances. And it was really hard to imagine how God could possibly redeem all of these little pieces, all of these parts, including our marriage. And growing up in Wisconsin, I know winter, right? Like November, or sorry, February comes and you're sick of winter, but if you're in Wisconsin, you know you have like three more months of snowfall still, so it's not ending anytime soon. And so I felt like what we were in was a really long winter. And I would look out and just reflect on our life and imagine how could life come from this? It seems so dead and so ugly and just nothing. It's just dead. So for the next year and a half, 
this idea of practice believing in springtime became my life theme. Whether it was in like song or in scripture or in just meeting people or whatever it was, it just kept coming up and coming up. And I just believe that God was just pressing this upon me. It will come. Just practice believing hope for a springtime. And so... I did. I started to have my my heart started to soften to the Lord, and um, I prayed and hoped for life to come from this death. A few months after um, being transformed in this um, by this certain passage and starting to um, have my heart soften, Nathan and I um, were pregnant, and then we miscarried our first child. And it was an opportunity, a perfect opportunity, that I could have become bitter again and my heart could have been hardened again. And I'd question, does God really care about our relationship? Does he care about me intimately? Um, Does he hear my cries and my grieving? And instead of becoming bitter, it was the first time in this whole season that Nathan and I together felt a deep sense of peace and a deep sense of um, God being with us in the midst of trial. We had community and family come around us and care for us really well in this time. And my sister-in-law sent me, the same one who challenged me earlier, she sent me a prayer, praying that God would redeem the day of of the loss. And I'm going to just read this for you. This was our prayer. O Christ, redeem this day. I do not ask that these lingerings of grief be erased, but that the fingers of your grace would work this memory as a baker needs dough till the leaven of rising hope transforms it within. Let that which broke me now be seen as the beginning of my remaking into a Christ follower, more sympathetic, more compassionate, and more conscious of my frailty and of my daily dependence upon you as one more invested in the hope of the resurrection of the body and the return of the king than I ever had been before. Do not waste my greatest sorrows, O God. So this was our prayer. We prayed for God to redeem the day of our loss. And it was not just a spiritual death or spiritual winter, it was literal death. We had heard um, our baby's heartbeat, we had seen our baby on the ultrasound, and then just a few days later, we miscarried. And so that just being right next to each other of hearing and experiencing life, and then experiencing death um, within a few days was um, really difficult. So we, um, we grieved, and it was the first time in our marriage that we really began to um, pursue the Lord together again after this difficult season. So I kept telling myself, um, practice believing in springtime. That was my hope because I had been believing that and praying for that this whole time. Like, what is this life God will bring from this death? I don't know what it would be, but I knew he would redeem it. Around those same months, Um, I began to see springtime in my mom's trial with cancer. She had gone through chemo, she went through radiation, and um, at the end of it, she had a clean scan and she was in remission. And then also, going through her trial with cancer, she became became more open to prayer 
and asking questions about God. That was spiritual life coming from a, what seemed like deadly, um, what seemed like death. And um, we saw springtime in my relationship with Nathan and springtime in my relationship with my sister. And then um, we were pregnant again, which was by God's grace because with my doubt or my bitterness, I did not deserve God to redeem that day so quickly. And yet by the time the due date of our first baby had rolled around, I had Hazel kicking and rolling around and what a sweet thing God did for us intimately and purposefully to redeem that day quickly. So fast forward a few, what seemed like forever months, being pregnant, <laughs> seemed like forever, to my due date, the day that if you've had children, you know you look forward to that day, counting down the days to that date, and then the day came and the day went and nothing changed about my life. Like the date that we had pointed to to change our life, nothing changed and it was really bizarre. And then I thought, well, if not the baby's due date, it would be really cool for our baby to be born on Pi Day. I'm a math teacher, so I would really appreciate a 3.14 baby. That would be so cool. And I would love telling my students that. What a great opportunity to teach them about Pi. Um, and that didn't happen. So then the next day, the eyes of March, that would be fine. I don't know. I wouldn't care if she was born in the eyes of March. And then um, the next day came, and it was we were going to name Hazel after one of my best friends who mentored me in college. And how amazing if they shared a birthday. It was her birthday, too. That would be awesome. Hazel should be born on that day. She wasn't. And then <laughs> the next day was um, my late grandmother's birthday. I know it would be very special to my mom if she was born on this day, and she wasn't. And then St. Patrick's Day, which I don't really care about, but it would be so awesome, I guess, be born on St. Patrick's Day. And that didn't happen. And I remember talking to my sister-in-law over the phone and just being like, what? when is this baby going to come? I am so ready for her to come, or him. We didn't know um, what we were having. And it wasn't until after the morning after I... Um, I delivered Hazel and I was holding her and the sun rose and I realized that Hazel was born on the first day of spring. Aww. I know, I cry at this point every time <laughs> because it is the cherry on top of a, an amazing Sunday that God did for us and my whole, Jess, I'm looking at you, I'm like, hey. um, My struggle was that God didn't care for me personally. He didn't care for us, Nathan and I together. And he did not have to redeem that day so perfectly or redeem our marriage or redeem our circumstances. He didn't have to do that. Um, and I don't know if I would have noticed it was missing if he didn't very purposefully have Hazel be born so late and be born on the first day of spring. So I'd like to go back to um, part of the devotional that really stands out to me. Uh, she writes, I'm learning that neither season lasts forever. There will be something that invades this current loveliness. It won't be sweet forever, but it won't be bitter forever either. So the theme that sums up our years in Milwaukee would be winter. It seemed like that's all it was, was um, a winter season. 
and coming to here was a blessing to us because we needed a change. We needed some. We needed community, um, and thank you guys. You have been that for us. Um, and I know this current springtime it won't last for forever, but God has shown me time and time again that I can hope for springtime. I can hope for life um, to come from death and the one thing that will last forever, the season that will last forever is heaven. It is eternal life. And I can hope for that. And I can look forward to that expectantly. To close, I want to go back to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, my life verse, I would say. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Something I often forget is how Ephesians 2 begins, which is very fitting. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So I have learned, and I've been learning, and still learning, that there is nothing dead in my life or in your life that the power of Christ cannot bring to life or cannot redeem even what seems like the longest winter of your life, and you wonder how could life come from this very ground, from this very place, um, God has shown me that it will. And that is my story. If you're like me, you'll have some questions. Uh, I, I may have missed it, Claire, but you mentioned when you went to college, uh, you didn't say where it was, I don't think. Mm. Um, what was the community you became a part of with your sister? Was that uh, you know, campus ministry or was it a church? Or what was the form of that community? Yes, so I went to UW-Eau Claire, which is like the northwest side of the state. It was a public school, and my sister was involved in crew. And so that's where I first got plugged in. But then I ultimately, by the end of my freshman year, um, was involved in our university chapter. And um, I went to church with my sister and loved church for the first time. And it was an evangelical free church that was there in Eau Claire. Yeah. So when you first met Nathan, what were your initial impressions and how did that all <laughs> well, I'm just going to clear this up right away because I know what he would say if he was here. So he would say um, that I liked him first, which is true, but he really likes to make a point of that. So <laughs> um, 
Yes. Well, okay, when I first met him, he was wearing a shirt that had Abraham Lincoln on the front wearing a Batman mask. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but he looks fun, so we'll, I don't know. We were really good friends, to be honest. Um, I love our story. I love how we met because we met serving alongside one another. And very quickly, I got to see how he loves people, how he serves people, how he works under pressure. Um, and how he communicates. All of these things I think take a really long time to learn about somebody and I got to see it firsthand. And that was very attractive to me, just watching him serve and watching him love our, um, the participants and love the people in the community. And so we weren't allowed to date or have a relationship while you're working for this organization. So I had never expressed my feelings and he didn't express his and so I didn't know that you know, we had mutual feelings until maybe after we had left and he was in Pennsylvania in school and I was in Wisconsin and we con still continued to like Skype and chat and that's when we started dating. Yeah. Yes. If he was going to school <coughs> an hour south of Wisconsin, why were you in Mm -hmm. So he went to school just north of Chicago at Trinity, and I only had a Wisconsin teaching license because our school only um, was able to license you in Wisconsin or in Minnesota. So we knew we had to live somewhere in between wherever I found a job and wherever he was in school. So once I found my first teaching job, which I just looked around the Milwaukee area, around Racine and Kenosha, because that's closer to the Illinois border. And um, I got my first job where I did, so we just planted ourselves in the middle. Yes? You talked about your sister-in-law challenging you to find a Christian counselor, mm -hmm. uh, but you never talked about your brother becoming a Christian or, or how they played into your Christian experience. Um, so um, it's not my place to gauge hearts of others, but um, as of now, I would say my parents and my brother are not believers. So my sister-in-law is, but she is on my bro my uh, on Nathan's side. So she's married to one of Nathan's brothers. Yeah, she's become one of my best friends. She's great. Mm -hmm. Yes. What is it you're going to be doing with the church? Um. Yes, I've just been working as the communications director um, in all the things that entails, lots of things like the website and, you know, your bulletin, your newsletter, social media, that kind of thing. Yep. Yes. Yeah. I didn't hear where you said you went to church. Um, in Milwaukee or when I was growing up? In Milwaukee, we w attended a church called Epicos. It w had three locations in the downtown um, area, Milwaukee area. The mission was to reach unreached places in inner city Milwaukee. So um, our mission was to go to places people didn't want to go or felt were unsafe or felt were gross and dirty. And that was something I loved about that church. We really loved it. It was great. 
Yes. Uh, your relationship with your sister, you said it sort of healed, but I'd like to know more about, about that. Healing. How we, how things healed? Um, so I think that God knew what he was doing when we got pregnant and really surprised my sister also getting pregnant, which was a fantastic surprise. And so together, sharing that experience gave us an opportunity to um, connect in a different way. And she had her daughter six days after Hazel was born. So that was really sweet. Um, and a few other circumstances allowed us to be able to start to talk more often. But out of my control and kind of out of her control, um, we were um, kind of cut off for a little while, which was really difficult. Mm -hmm. Yes. So how did you cope with the culture shock of meeting Nathan's family? They're from Cincinnati. They're, he's got all the brothers. That must have been a whole different Mm -hmm. what you were used to. Yes, um, it was different, but it is really awesome. It's a privilege to see how those boys interact and love one another and joke around and just be brothers. It really is a privilege. And um, now five of the brothers are married. So there are five of us that are daughter-in-laws. And... It's so fun. It really is really fun. I don't know what else to say other than it's a blast. And um, it, the only time it was really a culture shock or very intimidating was the first time I met Nathan's family. I came after Christmas during my winter break. And his mom is a really intentional gift giver, which I wasn't prepared for. And everyone had opened up their gifts and celebrated Christmas days before, but she saved a stocking and gifts for me that she had me open in front of everybody. <laughs> and I just don't love being the center of attention, and so I'm having to unwrap these gifts, which are really generous. But there are, you know, um, 12 people, 13 people, just like watching me and waiting for my reaction. That was a time where I felt really out of my zone, but it's fantastic. I, it's such a blessing to be a part of their family. Yes. At what, at what point did Nathan decide to go into ministry and you learn about it in the scripture? Mm-hmm. So he knew he wanted to pursue ministry in high school. And that calling or that desire was just confirmed over time in his time in college. Um, he felt called to be equipped by seminary, by a seminary degree to do ministry, um, whatever God was calling him to, which we had no idea what that would be or look like. And I just came along for the ride, which to be honest was initially very difficult. It wasn't something I had prepared for or thought that would that's how my life would look or how my life would go. So, um, as a separate challenge, Nathan actually w wanted me to maybe include this in my story as something that um, I kind of had to overcome, but I just really did not want to be a pastor's wife. It, I mean, I, that sounded very scary to me. And so um, I had a lot of trouble 
trying to grasp, like, do I even want to? I was going to break up with him over the fact that I so much did not want to be a pastor's wife. And I had other women or other people, or I met with pastor's wives, and they would give me books to read or encourage me that I can be me and be his wife and then but also, you know, be a pastor's wife. And the books were just, unfortunately, it made me even more scared. <laughs> and I remember reading one of them in like our common area with my roommates and I just was crying and my roommate took the book and she was like, this is not helpful. And she like <laughs> took it away and I don't, I don't know where the book is. So, she, which was great. Um, it was something that I really, it took a long time. It took a long time for God to bring me around to being excited about partnering with Nathan in that way and um, supporting him in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another small piece, you mentioned you did some varsity sports in high school. What were those sports and is that still part of your blood? Oh. Um, I played volleyball and soccer as my main two sports. Soccer, I would say, is my love. And I would play a soccer game over any other type of exercise any day. Um, but I haven't played really since college. So um, if anyone wants to do a startup soccer league, that would be awesome. Watching the World Cup. Oh, yes, of course. That would be great. Yes. We enjoy it. Yes. Oh, yes, thank you for mentioning it. I forgot to. Um, something I wanted to share was in that time when, after I had first read her writing in that passage, and that really stuck with me as my something I started to pray and hope for. And um, anytime I journaled, I journaled about praying over springtime. And anytime I... Um, heard songs, I just heard themes of springtime, and anytime I talk to people, right, I told you, I'm just hearing this over and over again. And so in that time, I journaled and like painted or wrote this, these four words dozens and dozens of times. So I just brought two of them that I wrote or did in that season, not to be like, this is amazing. It's not, but it is my heart, and it's where I was at in that season, and I just wrote it over and over and over again. <coughs> Thanks. What is that saying? I can't see it. Oh, sorry. Um, so they both just say, practice believing in springtime. It's that phrase that I just kept coming to mind. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hazel is a year old now. I'm sorry? Hazel is a year old now. Yes, she just turned 15 months. Okay. And what are some of the fun things she's Yes, um, she's climbing, which is, I know a lot of babies do it way before she has, but it's really fun to see. Um, and she loves talking. So she just in the last week, Nathan went to Shepherd on last Sunday and he came home and he, I didn't notice this, but in that week away, he was like, oh my gosh, these are sounds she was not making when I left. So she picks up a book and she'll just read to herself, la, 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 you know, and it's really sweet. And um, she says, Tucker, and she says cat because the Weissmans have brainwashed her. And 
like she loves cats, which is would I would never until I had Hazel ever dream of getting a cat. But I think we're going to have to get a cat. But she says these words, but she does not really say mom and dad or mama and dada. And I asked Nathan yesterday. I'm like, she can say Tucker, chicken, and cat, but she cannot say mom and dad. What is happening? I don't know. That's what she's up to. It's pretty great. It's fun. <laughs> Oh, Tucker's our dog. Sorry, thank you for clarifying. <laughs> so she knows dogs, cats, and chickens, and that's, yes, yes, yes. The Weissmans just um, got her three realistic cat shirts that have cats on them. So we put one on her yesterday, and I'd say, where's the cat? And she'd just pat her belly, and she's like, cat, cat, cat. And she'd pull it up and then kiss it, and she just, <laughs> she loves it. <laughs> loves it. Yeah. Cat, you know that cat leave a long time? Yes. Until Hazel goes to college. I'll just get a used one, so maybe it'll be like halfway done with its life. <laughs> one, one warning, uh, one, of my, uh, one of the pediatricians I worked with for many years had a favorite saying about a, a child who just learns how to walk. Within two weeks, you'll find them on top of the refrigerator. <laughs> warning. Okay. Any other questions? Or uh, there may be uh, things you'd like to discuss, and I think they did this first hour. If you'd like to uh, look at some of the discussion questions, and then just sort of down your row talk about those, that'd be fine. Mm -hmm. you can pass those back. There is one general announcement too. Um, in spite of my prayer at the beginning, Faith uh, will have its picnic at the church this afternoon due to mud, standing water, and a threat of thunderstorms. So, uh, <laughs> which is hard, hard to believe. And they, they also mentioned that they could use some help setting up tables immediately after the second service. So if you're able to do that sort of thing, it might be good for us to gather in the lobby down here and help out in that way. So. Does Hazel like sitting in puddles? Um, I haven't tried it yet, I don't know, but she, <laughs> she loves the pool. <laughs> yes. Oh. I'm sure she does. What kid doesn't love puddles? I don't know. Yeah, if you'd like to use those discussion questions just to kind of chat about your response to the uh, the phase story, let's do that for a few minutes, and then I'll pray, pray to close. Phil, what's the what's the time we're having a discussion back here about the start time of the picnic? Four, four thirty. Not actually met you or your husband. 
sorry that we see you. We pray for you at Wednesday prayer. We were missionaries in the Philippines and then Africa for 40 years. So I home retired as those people. I went to Trinity. And my wife worked and put me through. So we know about that. We know how stressful. That's a really difficult uh, season. She was the secretary of Trinity. Oh, really? Yeah, she was Dr. Sancho's secretary, ran the school. It was about that big. Yeah, it's I only was, still about this big. <laughs> yeah, it's never been too big. It had 100 students. Okay. The year before, it had 30. So it was really very yeah. small, but it was nice. Yeah. Everybody knew yeah. yeah. So you're a math teacher? Yes, I mean, I was until we moved here, and I haven't had a teaching job since we moved here last year. Missing math? Yeah, terribly. Hmm? Terribly. Yes, I miss it. You think you go back to teaching math? Um, I hope so, but I also feel very strongly that it's just not my time. I, I don't think that that's what God's calling me to. I think He would bless it if I pursued it, but... Um, I can't imagine being able to teach right now. I don't know. I don't think I could do it well. I don't think I could do a mom and a wife role and a teacher role. So I think that there will be a time, there will be a season, and I look forward to it. That's not going to go away, is it? No. But <laughs> education's changing, so I just have to like be able to yeah, keep up, you know? Yeah, yeah that is hard. Yeah. Especially for women who step out and have kids. I think you're smart yeah. to stay home with you. I know, and it's sweet. It's really sweet. And they're fun, and every day they do something new. Though. Yes, and we I don't want to miss it. No, we had four daughters and two miscarriages. The girls chose to be home. Mm -hmm. We had a little less money. Yeah. And we had a little more time. Yeah. Where's home for you? Where was home for you? Um, in central Wisconsin, in a city called Wausau. We lived in Minnesota for 11 years. Where in Minnesota? Uh, outside the Twin Cities, a yeah. little place called Blaine. Okay. I taught at Bethel College. Ah, awesome. So, so we know about winter. Yeah. Our yeah. first winter, six feet of snow. It was 30 below. And we simply wrapped up our little daughter and sent her out the door. She walked to school. Yes. And live to tell about it. Yes. Well, nice to meet you. Thanks. Thanks for saying hi, Chester. Thank you. Well, if, if you're uh, satisfactorily uh, discussed, let me uh, let me close in prayer. I was going to suggest to Claire that if she still has a remnant of enjoying fall, I'll enjoy. I will invite you to our house to help rake leaves. <laughs> Let's pray together before we uh, re uh, go to the lobby to help set up chairs and tables. Thanks, Father, for uh, this story that has uh, really challenged us to see how you draw each of us through our lives into a relationship with you. Uh, thanks for Clara's transparency, uh, for the way you're still helping her in her springtime season. And I pray that you would help us to understand how you help us grow in all the seasons of our lives. Uh, help us t today to honor you with our, uh, with our lives and be with us as we leave now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.